All right. Well, we're resuming the Gospel of Mark. Um, we are now in the Gospel of Mark. Please turn to chapter 14, verses 10 and 11. Just two verses. Mark 14, and we'll be reading from 10 to 11. Just these two verses. <clears throat> and it says, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priests in order to betray him, him that is Jesus, to them. They were glad when they heard this and promised to give him money. And he began seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. Judas, in this passage, stands as a perfect contrast to Mary. And we've seen that Mary broke the alabaster flask on our Savior. And Judas here betrayed our Savior. Mary poured 300 denarii's worth of perfume on Jesus' head. Judas received 30 pieces of silver for Jesus' head. Mary was devoted to Christ. Judas was disloyal to Christ. Mary was sold out for Christ. Judas sold out Christ. But most important of them all, and the main theme of today's message, Mary was a true follower of Jesus Christ. Judas was a false convert, a fake Christian, phony Christ follower. Judas stands alone, one of the twelve apostles, as a warning message that not everyone who calls himself a Christian is indeed a Christian. I lovingly want to ask you this morning that one single question. To everyone in this room, are you a true follower of Jesus Christ? Are you born again? You say, yes, yes, of course I am. Great. I'm glad that you are. But how do you really know that you're born again? What gives you the assurance that you are truly saved and that you're not deceiving yourself and that you are a false convert. My singular intention today is to exhort everyone to carefully assess his own heart. How do you really know that you are truly a Christian, that your sins have really been forgiven? How do you really know? That when your time is up, and when your book of your life is slammed shut, that God will not rebuke you on that last day, saying to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I plead with you. Don't shut your heart against this warning. Don't dismiss this such a, an important subject, saying, ah, oh, this is not for me. The scripture emphatically commands us, 
second corinthians 13 verse 5 it says test yourselves to see if you are in the faith examine yourselves uh, my intention this morning is not to cause you to doubt your salvation no on the contrary i want you to use the sword the word of god to cut off the head of doubt we love Security of eternal life. We support it. We endorse it. We preach on it. We want you to be confident on the promises of God. Absolutely. But what we are against is carnal, fleshly confidence that leads anyone to be disillusioned to assume that he's saved when he's really not. Unbiblical. Self-examination must not be named among us. I stand here before you this morning as an under-shepherd who does not want his hands to be dripping with the blood of those self-deceived who are like Judas Iscariot. They claim to be children of God, but in reality they belong to the devil. I don't want to be unfaithful to you. I don't want to tickle anyone's ears to his damnation. This is not a subject to brush under the carpet. And I can't think of any more serious subject to talk about this morning. So I ask you again, dear beloved, how do you know that you are really born again? Well, let me be even more crystal clear. I want to be absolutely clear with everyone in this room. So hear me out and answer this question. What marks of Christian life you claim to have that a false convert cannot fabricate? In the name of God, you must answer this question for your sake, for the sake of eternity. Cry out to God. Ask him, say to him, God, search my heart. Do I really belong to you or do I still belong to the devil? Why? Because Judas was chosen by Jesus as one of the 12 apostles. But yet in John 6, 70, it says, did I not choose you the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. John 17, 12. Jesus says about Judas, the son of destruction. Judas was the last, the least, and the lost apostle. He's the last because his name always appeared at the very last in every list of the 12 apostles. The least because he's the least intimate, the furthest removed from Jesus. And the lost because his life is lost in eternal pain and anguish in hell. Why? Because even though Judas had the fact about Jesus, yet it's not enough to have intellectual knowledge about Christ. It's not about fact, nor is it about feelings, nor is it about mental assent of who Jesus is. You must come all the way to have true faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation. And this faith must result in that, that your very heart must be given totally to him and to display that your will comes under Jesus' authority in such a way that Judas Iscariot 
cannot fabricate. I want to invite you to come with me back in time. I want you to see what Judas saw and feel what he felt and hear what he heard so that none of us would end up being like him. Judas, with both of his ears, heard the proclamation of the gospel. He saw with his eyes miracles. He sang songs. But he chose a path of hypocrisy and he perished. Judas, Judas, the apostle, stood with both of his feet touching the gates of heaven. His toes were just an inch away from the finishing line. He stood there. With his eyes, he saw multitudes of souls rushing into the kingdom. So what did he do? He pretended to be running with them, but in reality, he stood still. With his ears, he heard them weeping because of their sins. He heard the celebration in, in heaven. With his eyes, he saw the smiles in their faces. He felt the joy in their heart. But like a, a good actor who blended in with the Christians. If he was in Hollywood, he would have won Oscar's award. But in reality, he fell to the hottest part of hell. And just like Judas Iscariot, false converts, they, they hear sound preaching. They're good hearers. Their seats in the church are really empty. They don't fall asleep when they hear the gospel. They love the true, real gospel. They hate the watered-down gospel. And you think that everyone like them is truly a Christian, but I point you to the unsaved apostle Judas Iscariot. God showers these people with the truth, but their hearts are always so dry. The light of the gospel shines in their eyeballs. The invitation to come to Jesus Christ is thundering into the ears, and they claim that they came all the way to Christ, but in reality, they didn't even move one inch away from the kingdom of darkness. What is a false convert? I would say a false convert is a, is a zombie follower of Jesus Christ, a dead corpse with, with no true life in him. His feet are walking, but he never arrives to the truth. His eyes are staring, but he never beholds the glory of Christ. Judas, just like false converts, was a black crow, dipped himself in white flour in order to look like a dove. But in reality, he never belonged to Jesus. Let us take this subject very seriously. So I want to ask you the question again. What marks of Christian life you enjoy that false converts cannot fabricate. When all said and done, what is it that you can put on a table in terms of character quality that false converts cannot? For today, I want to expose four misconceptions among us this morning. Forget about 
wishy-washy churches. Forget about Hillsong or prosperity gospel preachers and what they teach. I want to cover four false tests that are sown in the soil of conservative churches like one of ours, like, like us here this morning. And these tests, they germinate false assurance of salvation. Because I want to be crystal clear. We want to know exactly where we stand. So the four tests will be like this. First, the possibility. Second, the duties. Third, the virtues. Fourth, the duration. First, the possibility. What do I mean by that? There is a misconception that is going around basically saying that there is a li- the likelihood of having false converts among us is negligible. One of the tragedies of this age is to think that there is a slim chance for false converts to be in our midst. And let me tell you even a worse tragedy. In fact, the biggest tragedy of them all is to assume that even among church members, there aren't false converts. One might say, oh, what are the chances? Small church like ours? We preach an undiluted word of God. Ralph and I watching over those who want to be members like a hawk. For all intents and purposes, we make decisions that are hard to bear upon unbelievers. It's as good as you can get, right? We were safe here. It's like Noah's Ark. I was asked last week. Wes, do you think that there would be any false converts among members? What are the odds? Answer, huge, huge. I point you to Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples. Think about this ratio. He wasn't just a disciple, he was an apostle. Yet he was unsaved. And not just unsaved, Jesus called him the devil, the son of destruction. Do we ever think that maybe, what, that we preach a a, a more solid, more confronting messages than Jesus did? Or somehow the decisions that Jesus made that challenged Judas were just much easier than the decisions that we make? One might say, ah, Wes, but I get it. But this one out of 12 is the worst case scenario. Absolutely not. I I believe quite the opposite. Probably it's the best ratio that you would ever get. Let me tell you why. Do you remember the parable of the 10 virgins? How many out of them was what were false converts? Five. Uh, Russia is half, right? Five out of ten were false converts. What about the parable of the sower? 
there were four grounds. How many out of them were genuine Christians? And how many were false? You got three quarters false converts, fake Christians. And what about the parable of the tares sowed among the wheat? Any farmer would tell you that the tares would outweigh the wheat any time. How about another one? How about the Israelites that left Egypt? It's estimated that, it was, that they were 2.5 or 2.6 million people. And out of them, how many went into the promised land? Two were saved, Caleb and Joshua, only two. The rest, they sang songs. They offered sacrifices. But the scripture tells us in no uncertain terms that they perished because of their unbelief. Beloved, the warning that Jesus gave to the so-called disciples of his days, I charge you with Matthew 7.14, where Jesus says, For the gate is small, and the way is narrow, that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Many will come on, on that day that will cry out to me saying, Lord, Lord, many. But the ones who will find the gate, few. That's the first misconception. Second misconception, duty, Christian duty. What Christian duties do you do that, G that Judas did not do? Judas left the opportunity. He let this opportunity of being saved slip under his feet. And now he's agonizing in the lowest pit of hell and he's in torment. Some of you might say, you know what? I thank God I'm not like Judas. Why? Because I'm a Christian. Well, what makes you think that you're not following Judas' footsteps? Imagine with me for a moment that after 2,000 years of anguish and torment and hell, it's just an imagination, right? It's not going to ever happen. I imagine God says to Judas, You're released on parole. And he gets issued a temporal visa to Australia. He flies. He's got the passport and COVID test done. And he comes here and out of all places, he chooses to come to Saving Grace Bible Church. And you see him walking from that back door, coming in. Don't look back. Just imagination, right? Walks through this back door walks through this corridor, and then he sits among us this morning. And you see tears pouring, rolling out of his eyes. And he's weeping. And you hear the gnashing of his teeth. And you see blisters all over his skin because of the fire. And his hair is all burnt. And he's sitting there. Then you say to him, I'm a Christian. Then Judas turns his eyes and he looks at you. And he, said, and he asks you, 
What makes you think that you're a Christian? You say, I read the word. I saw the word. I heard the word. I interacted with the living word. Ah, oh, but, I, but I heard the gospel preached on weekly basis. What would, what would Judas say? Judas would say, I sat under Jesus preaching. And hey, let me tell you, Jesus preaching is 10,000 times better than your pastor's preaching. And I don't understand Judas. I'm surrounded by godly men. My mother is a Christian. My father is a Christian. My wife is a Christian. My dog is a Christian. I was surrounded by the godly apostles. The most influential men in the whole world. I was appointed to pray publicly. And I was appointed to preach the gospel by Jesus. And yet I am doomed. Yeah, but I'm gifted. I've got spiritual gifts. And I cast out demons. I perform miracles. Yeah, but you don't understand, Judas. I made very hard decisions to follow Jesus. I made much sacrifices. I sent my kids to go to Christian schools. I moved and relocated my home to be near the brethren. I paid tithes. I, I do a lot of hard sacrifices for Jesus. Judas would say, and I left everything and I followed Jesus. Mark 10, 28. And when everyone was offended by Jesus and they all walked away from him, I stood my ground. John 6. 66. I was there when Jesus preached hardcore messages like the following, Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And guess what I did? I risked my life for it. Forget about underground church. I risked my life following Jesus. Even in John 11, it tells us that when Jesus wanted to go all the way to Jerusalem in order to raise Lazarus from the dead, and the disciples knew, including Judas, that if they would follow Jesus, they would be risking their lives, Judas would say, I risked my life. I followed Jesus to Jerusalem, even though I would have risked being stoned to death. You see, if reading the word, hearing the gospel, serving in ministry, being gifted, surrounded by believers, even making high and big sacrifices, if all of these are what gives you assurance that you're saved, you are in trouble. Because if all that, all that, this is all that you have, that would have made Judas more of a Christian than you are, yet he was not. Don't get me wrong. If you don't do any of these things, then you ought to doubt your salvation. Absolutely. 
But just because you're doing them all, it does not mean that you are saved. None of these are biblical ways to assure you of your salvation. Having a sinner's prayer, being baptized, even coming to church does not make you a Christian any more than if you dive in the sea, it would turn you into a fish. You can stay as long as you like in your garage. You will never turn into a car, right? And so coming to church on a regular basis does not make you a Christian. To be a Christian, to have the assurance of your salvation, you've got to outweigh duties. So second misconception, Christian duties cannot be in of themselves, the assurance of your salvation. Why? Because false converts can accomplish the same thing. Then one might, one might say, oh, right, yeah, 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 absolutely, for sure, I get this, I get this. Um, it's not about what I do, it's got to be about my heart. It, it, it's, that's right, it's, it's what I feel. It's how I feel inside of me. That's what gives me assurance that I'm a Christian. Third misconception. Virtues. Affection. Holy affection. One might say, I have great Christian virtues. Fruit of the Spirit in abundance. Let me ask you a question. What virtue do you think that you could possess that you think Judas did not claim that he had. So let me tell you from the very upfront in this misconception, for every godly virtue from above, there is a counterfeit version in satanic kingdom. Yes, sure, they're not identical, all these virtues in satanic kingdom, they're fake, they're all imitations, but they give the illusion that they are the same. Let me give you an example. I'll give you several, but let me start with the first one. Oh, yeah, I know. I, I know a virtue that I have that Judas could never claim that he had. What is it? I love God. I love him. Really? So, what you're saying is that if you ask Judas, do you love God? He would say no. Think about it, beloved. What Catholic Pope out there that if you asked him, do you love God, that he is not delusion to actually think, to come out and say, oh, you know what? Yeah, you're right. I don't love God. Even Mormons and Jehovah's Witness are self-deceived to think that they love God when they don't. Judas, Judas would say, yeah, sure. Sure, I love God. Yeah. Look, nobody's perfect. Everyone sins, so no one really loves God perfectly, right? But of course I love him. That's why during Jesus' ministry, Judas followed Jesus in his own mind. He would say, Oh, this is why I obeyed Jesus. This is why I was persecuted for Jesus. This is why I preached the gospel for Jesus. Now, please note. Here's a disclaimer. I don't, I don't believe Judas 
or anyone that is called an unbeliever had any love for God. Absolutely not. I'm pretty sure that that's not the case. However, I'm also equally pretty sure that Judas would have been self-delusion to think that he did love God. And he would have even been so convincing to the rest of the disciples. So I want to ask you a question. Ask yourself, what characteristics do I exhibit that Judas did not fabricate? Now, please, would you turn to um, John 12, verse 4. John 12, 4. Now, it's a similar passage to the one that we have. Uh, it's the parallel account to what we have been reading. And uh, in um, verse 4, we want to see here that Judas came across as such a, a caring apostle. So six days before Jesus' crucifixion, uh, he was invited for dinner at Lazarus. and he there. Um, there was Martha and Mary, and Mary got the expensive perfume, and she poured it upon Jesus, right? And that was her way of worshiping Jesus. And in verse 4, it says, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? 300 denarii, if you recall, is uh, a year's wage. And basically means, yeah, there's lots of money. Judas asking, why? Why can't we just save this money, spare it, and then give it to the poor? Oh, the, the loveliness or the holiness of Judas, right? We should clap for him. Oh, everyone should stand up and clap his hands for Judas. Such a caring disciple. Wrong. God, who knows the secrets of man, he read his heart like an open book. Drop down to verses, verse 6, it says, Now he said this, not because he was concerned or care, caring about the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box he used to pilfer what was put into it. So Judas here was complaining, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. Turned out that this 300 dinars were lots of money. And what Judas wanted to do is that he wanted to put it into a money bag, skim whatever he could out of it, and put it into his pocket. And he played the game so well that everybody, all the rest of the disciples, believed him. And they went hard on Mary. That venom of his wicked motive was hidden behind what? A godly virtue. How easy it is for fake Christians to play the hypocrite game like a lizard that camouflages its skin. False converts hide their wicked desires behind godly desire. Oh, I love the, the brethren. That's why I do what I do. And they blend in the church. So Judas advertised himself as a caring apostle. But not just as a caring apostle. Stay with me in this verse here. Judas was a decent man. He was a decent man. Have a look at that verse 6. What does it say? He had the money box. What does that mean, the money box? 
What does it mean he had the money box? He was a treasurer. Meaning the disciples would have gotten around each other. And they said, look, we need to appoint a treasurer. Who do we choose? Matthew? Oh, he's a tax collector. He's an extortioner. He'll take the money. Matthew, this is your weak point. Just we have to skip you. Who else? Simon, the zealot? Boy, he would, he would assassinate us. He would take the money and throw a bomb at us and run away. Sorry, Simon, not you. James and John, they're too young. They're immature. We need someone that is grown up. Someone that we can entrust the money bag with. Someone who had no bad record. Oh, Judas, you fill in all the criteria to be the treasurer. And he came across as an honest man, a noble man, a trustworthy man, someone with great virtues to admire. He was a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? And in his hypocrisy, he washed his sheep clothing so white that he became the treasurer. Judas was self-deceived and he was a pretender. Even to the very last day, and we know this in Matthew 26, verse 21, where Jesus said, truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. Judas, Judas came across as so faithful to the Lord, so holy, so much that the disciples asked Jesus, what, is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? No one doubted Judas' integrity. No one. Not only was he a pretender, he was self-deceived. It is not like, oh, I'm such a wicked man from the inside, but, you know, I'm going to pretend. No. He was self-deceived before he was a pretender. Do you have sorrowful sin? Judas was so sorry that he betrayed Jesus to the point that he killed himself. Do you have repentance? Judas repented. Return the money back to the Pharisee. Do you have fear of God that leads you to even have goosebumps in the middle of the night? Even the demons fear and tremble. You have so much joy that it would put a smile in your face. How do you know that this joy is genuine? How do you really know that it's from heaven and that it's not fabricated in Satan's factory? Watch out. Beloved, false converts have a mirage of holiness without substance. You heard the saying that goes like this. If, if it walks like a duck, if it swims like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, then it is a duck, right? Judas Iscariot and the false converts, they defy this saying. They walk like Christians. They talk like Christians. But in reality, they're not. How scary is it? How terrifying is it to be like Judas? Because I love you. Because I love this church. I love what God is doing in this church. I call upon you to tremble at the thought of Judas. I have fear in my heart that there may be false converts among us. 
who somehow mastered the art of artificial holiness. And they manufactured imitations of godly virtues just enough to deceive themselves. A false convert may have not committed a sin, an open sin for the church to see. But let me tell you, it does not mean that the false convert is safe in the sight of God. Beloved, I plead you, ask yourself, how do you know that God did in fact regenerate you? Because you may have managed to trick us into church membership. We don't know people's hearts. But what we know is none of us can trick God into heaven. Do you have a Christian fake passport? Or do you have a genuine? Well, that's the third misconception. We'll move quickly to the fourth one. Fourth misconception. In the conservative churches. And here's the false, fourth misconception. False converts only survive only for a short time. Hmm? How many of us heard this before? False converts, they survive only for a short time. One might say, oh, you know what? I've been a Christian since worldwide flood. I've been a follower of Jesus for such a long time. Surely, if I was a false convert, I would have been exposed by now. No. False assessment. Absolutely wrong. Yes, it's true. If people do abandon the faith after a short time, it would bear witness that they were not Christians in the first place. But just because you claim that you've been a Christian, that you're, you claim that you've been a Christian for 20 years, 30 years, it doesn't mean that you are saved. You may have gray hair, but black heart. Yes, Judas only followed Jesus for just a short three years span. But you can look at it another way. You can look at it as that he faked it until the very last week of his life Yes, probably even the last two days of his life. And the scripture is full of examples that warn us against this misconception. I'll give you a few. Matthew 7, 22, where Jesus says, Many will say to me on that day. Which day? The day of reckoning. They will say, Lord, Lord, did we not? Dot, dot, dot. Meaning that, that these were false converts. They called Jesus Lord, Lord. And only on that day they came in before the Almighty God and their eyes are open and they realized we're on the wrong side. We're meant to be on the right side, but we're on the left. And this was so shocking that they had to ask Jesus, Lord, how come? Only on the last day. Parable of tears among the wheat. Matthew 13, 30, where it says, allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tears and bind them in bundles. Time of the harvest? What is the time of the harvest? 
Is it after three years of a person being a Christian and then the time of the harvest kicks in? Is it after 10 years and then the bell rings? Time of the harvest. Again, time of reckoning. Implying that they died and then the time of the harvest is at hand. Matthew 25 and verse 41, Jesus says, Then he will also say to those on his left, when will he say that? When he comes back in his glory. He will say to them who are on his left, Depart from me, accursed once into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Who is he talking to? You know who he's actually talking to? If you read it in context, false converts who now standing before him. He's not talking to atheists. He's not talking to others, uh, Mormons, Jehovah's Witness. He's talking to the false convert, goats that look like sheep, but they were not sheep. And they lived all their lives as goats, pretending to be sheep. Verse 44, then that was answering, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of Implying? They had no idea that they were going to be damned. They had no idea all their lives. Multitudes of unbelievers insist that they are Christians till their very last breath. Godly men will carry their coffins. In their funerals, pastors will speak of how much faithful Christians they were. But then what happens? Just like the parable of the rich man, and Lazarus, they will open their eyes and they will find themselves in torment, lost forever. God only knows how many people are delusioned, thinking that they are on their way to heaven and they will be shocked to find themselves in hell. And even in their first five minutes in hell, they will be stunned because to be in hell was in their last, in their mind. And then when they open their eyes and they realize that they're going to be in hell, they're going to say, oh, it can't be. It can't be. No way. I must be dreaming. It's a nightmare. I prophesied in Jesus' name. I cast out demons. I performed miracles. I was baptized. I prayed. I sang songs. I read the Bible. No, something is wrong. Why am I in anguish? Get me out of this tormenting place. I don't belong here. I thought my sins were forgiven. Luke 13, 25, it tells us, Jesus tells us that they will be banging on the gates of heaven and they will cry out to God, God, please open to us. Open. We, we ate communion with you. We fellowshiped with you. We were the best of the church bunch. You know what I mean? Our prayers were the piece of art. We studied great theology. Our most favorite book is systematic theology. We can judge the church rightly and properly 
because we know it all. And God will come to these people. He will rip the cage of the chest wide open and he will show them that their hearts have always been rotten black since the day they were born and they will never say. No matter the length of years they professed to be Christians, it was all a sham. It was just all staged. All Christian duties can be accomplished by false converts. All godly virtues have their counterfeit version in Satan's kingdom. And false converts will fake it till the end, but never make it to heaven. No, they won't. False converts, no matter how confident they are sure that they are saved, they are lost and they're headed for hell. Dear beloved, I stand between the gates of hell and you this morning, and I want to say this to you. If your assurance of your salvation is no more than Judas' life, if your righteousness does not exceed Judas' righteousness, if you have done your checks and balances as to why you believe that you are saved and the scripture testifies that false converts can come up with the counterfeit version of your checks and balances, let me tell you, you are in trouble. Your eternal house is built on sinking sand. Beloved, true Christians base their assurance on some foundation that is greater than that. And we must not take it lightly. How do we ensure that we are certainly saved? How do we set ourselves apart from false converts who can counterfeit our affections for God and our duties, Christian duties? You want to know the answer? Stay tuned for next week. I'll be giving the answer next week, but I, but I do want to give you something better than answering this question. Better than finding whether you are saved or not. How about you flee to Christ? We'll sort that out later, next week, but you flee to Christ now. If you think that you're not saved, if you have doubt, if you open your heart and truly confess and see yourself in the mirror of a false convert and find yourself guilty of not being a follower of Jesus Christ in deed and in truth, how about you run to Christ? Here is another opportunity that Judas would, would have loved to have. He would have in thousand, thousand Times would have wanted to kill himself over. But you have it right now at your fingertips. Here is the invitation of the gospel to everyone seated in this room. This is not just for the ones who profess to be unbelievers, but even to you, even as church members, who you know in your heart that when no one is seeing, God seeing, you see there is wickedness in your heart. 
and you don't even know if your heart has been regenerated. How could all this wickedness will come out of this wretchedness of yours? That source of all wickedness come out of it. Lust for the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Here is the invitation to come to Christ. Flee, hide in his wound. Let Christ be your only hope in deed and in truth. Trust in him. He alone is able to satisfy God's demand that you can never pay for yourself. I urge you, today is a day of your salvation. Come to him. Step out of your pressure, your peer pressure. It doesn't matter what your wife thinks of you. It doesn't matter what your children think of you. Make business with God in Jesus Christ. You can never be too young to find salvation in Jesus. So also you can never be too old for him to change you. And even if you have pretended all these years that you were a Christian, but in reality you were not a Christian, there is forgiveness in Jesus. Come to him and you will have forgiveness of your sins. It is not time for you to pretend to be a Christian anymore. Don't play games. Don't play games with God. And dear beloved, we want to be genuine. If in the early church, when Christianity was a capital punishment, there was in the heart of Christianity many false converts. You just read the New Testament. They're full of them. What makes you think we won't have false converts here when Christianity is open for anyone? I plead with you. I urge you. Repent. Put your trust in Jesus for your salvation. Let your life with him be genuine. Be true. Let's pray. Lord God, would you have mercy upon this church? Would you have mercy upon these people who hear this message? This was not a man-made plan for me to preach on Judas Iscariot. You are a sovereign God and you have orchestrated this. And we pray, Lord, that you continue to reveal your sovereignty by drawing people to you, Lord. Lord, we do not wish for any false convert to be damned and go to hell. Far from it. But we pray, Father, that you draw these false converts to yourself. We pray that you would open their eyes that have been blinded for many years. Change their hearts that have been frozen because of their love for sin and bring them to the sheepfold. We plead with you, Lord. We beg you, Father. Save souls. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Let this be the song that we would sing, Lord, in this church.
as we see even false converts coming to saving faith. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.